0: I do <laughs> Welcome to the fifth episode of Sean Ned's Do Baseball. That's
1: Sean. I'm Eds. Hey, hey, Sean. What's going on, man? How are you? Not, not bad. Not bad. Ready for, uh, ready for another story from uh, baseball history. Yeah. We're, uh, if you don't know the format, uh, we take turns looking up a story from baseball history and uh, sharing it.
0: Last week, uh, not last week, last episode, you told me a story about Eddie Waitkiss, which was based on. Uh, which was what the movie The Natural was based on.
1: Well, the book, technically, but yes. The book, and then the movie... Inspired
0: by. Inspired by. Inspired by. Check it out. It's uh, probably above this episode uh, on our Podbean. So download the Podbean app and uh, check us out uh, on Podbean. Also, check us out uh, for now at Sean Ed's Baseball. Soon we're going to have some new website stuff going on. We'll let you know about that.
1: Uh, I will also announce that we... Uh, I I've, I haven't posted anything yet, but I did make us a Twitter handle for Sean Ed's baseball. Oh, you did? I did, I did. That's uh, good. Yeah, we haven't we haven't really used it yet, but uh, I believe it's at Sean Ed's baseball. I'll just uh, so tr-
0: follow us on Twitter at Sean Ed's. Baseball. Oh no no
1: no! It's even better than that. It's, oh shit! It's uh, at doing baseball. At Doing Baseball on Twitter.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and at Bird Baby Birds for the Bird Baby Birds podcast.
1: Uh, Sean, are you ready? I'm ready. For a story? I'm ready. June 4th, 8, 1939. All right. World War I, World War II started that year, I'm pretty sure. Yep. <laughs> and so was the birth of Philip Francis
0: Linz. Linz? Linz, L-I-N-Z. All right. Born in Baltimore, Maryland, Linz batted and threw right-handed and was listed as 6 foot 180 pounds. I
1: gather that was like later, not,
0: he wasn't born. He was not born that size. (laughs) It was the biggest baby ever. (laughs) In doing my research of this story, I did not find very much information on the young life of Philip Francis Linz. Except that he was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and eventually grew to be six foot, 180 pounds.
1: All right. Well, that's it's, uh, I, I have to say the name sounds familiar, but I got nothing so far.
0: So he's significant in the story, but his story is not that significant.
1: All right. This Keep- is a
0: story about perception.
1: Oh. Oh.
0: Okay? You're getting deep. Yeah, it's a story about perception. After five years in the New York Yankees farm system, in which he batted three oh four with 15 home runs, mostly at shortstop, Linz made the big league club out of spring training in 1962. Mm-hmm. He made his on-field debut on May 23, 1963, after third baseman Cleet Boyer, which is an amazing baseball name, by Cleet the way. I'm just, just- going to stop for one second and acknowledge the name of Cleet Boyer.
1: I mean, it's probably Cletus, but, but you just go with Cleet, right? Yep. I, I, that's just, I don't think there's a better sports name in general. No,
0: so <laughs> Cleet Boyer was hit by a pitch and had to be removed from the game, removed from the game. Mm-hmm. Up until this point, Linz had been used exclusively as a pinch hitter or runner. Okay. In his second at bat with the Yankees trailing 7-2, Linz hit a two-run home run. He also singled in two runs and scored a run in the Yankees' nine-run eighth inning that saw them take the lead and win the game. This performance earned Linz the start the next day, and he remained at third until Boyer returned on May 27th. Phil finished the season batting .287 with one home run and 14 RBIs. So he had just that one home run in that first game. So yeah, he
1: filled in for for four days or so.
0: Yeah, he, he did well. Okay, so after the 1963 season, there were many changes within the Yankee organization. In the years after World War II, the Yankees had come to dominate the Major League Baseball in a way that no team had done before. Between 1947 and 1963, the team appeared in World Series 14 times, winning 10 of them. Stars of the earlier eras like Joe DiMaggio had been almost seamlessly replaced by younger players like Mickey Mantle... One of those stars, former catcher Lawrence Yogi Berra, had been a constant on the team. Yeah,
1: he was as constant as it gets.
0: Yeah. Casey Stengel, the Yankees manager throughout the 1950s, had considered him the most important player on the team, sometimes describing Berra as his assistant manager.
1: Fair enough. It's, I mean, he became a manager, right? Was, Yogi was, was as good a baseball mind as there gets. You might imagine that I'm prefacing that. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't
0: know. Okay. Uh, since Barrow was nearing the end of his playing career, the Orioles and other teams made indications that they would be interested in hiring him for that position.
1: Boo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Back in 1962, the Yankees management noticed that Stengel, whom they had fired due to his advancing age a few seasons earlier, was becoming a big draw for the expansion New York Mets of the National League.
1: Wait, Stengel being the coach was the draw? Yep. Because he was... Well, I guess he was a big name in New York it was a weird time it was the manager was was the star I guess he a Babcock uh, for uh yeah Toronto hockey fans he was the Babcock of the time imagine
0: was, we were uh, come on down and watch a good old Gibby yeah. I mean that would sell tickets to me but
1: but yeah okay okay so Stang- Stangles moved on he's with the Mets and uh the Yankees are are looking for a manager I guess
0: well they're 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 worried about the the They've noticed that the manager of the Mets is a big draw, and yeah, I guess they're considering... It's a weird... it seems like a weird thing at this time. They're, They're considering their managerial decisions based on ticket sales. And less about...
1: Anyway, moving on. Fair enough.
0: Despite the Mets' poor performance, the team regularly filled the aging polo grounds, and the Yankees only barely outdrew them, even though they wound up winning the World Series. The executives worried that Barra, popular with the fans and the media, might be lured over to the Mets after his playing days were done, and with that team expected to move to the newer, larger Shea Stadium within two seasons, the possibility existed that the Mets' attendance figures could exceed those of the Yankees. So, like I said, it's a big worry. So, before the start of the 63 season, manager Ralph Hoke took Barra on a yachting trip With several of the team's executives, out on the ocean, General Manager Roy Hamey told Barra that at the end of the season he would be leaving that position to become a scout. He in turn would be replaced by Houck, leaving the field manager's position open. Hamey asked Barra if he was interested in that job. He's on a boat. He's on a yacht. So there's the implication. In the ocean. (laughs)
1: You know, <laughs> the this implication. Is, this
0: is international waters, yeah, it's Yogi.
1: A, it's like, yeah, here's what's gonna happen, bud. So it's
0: either go to the Mets, and drown. <laughs>
1: Let's just say uh, I got uh, I got uh, some concrete shoes for anybody that wants to be lured to the Mets, if you know what I mean, Yogi. They are the Bronx.
0: <laughs> they are the Bronx Bombers. <laughs>
1: I think you know how it works. You're, uh, you're Italian, bud. Uh, so just letting you know that you're going to stay loyal to us, or uh, maybe. Uh... Yogi was incredulous
0: at first, uh-huh. but then accepted the offer.
1: Well, he had to. He was on a boat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Barrow was made a player coach that season, uh-huh. although he fulfilled the latter role primarily by fungo hitting to his teammates during pregame warm ups. Uh huh. It wasn't until after the Yankees' four game loss to the Dodgers in the World Series that Barra's promotion to manager became public. Reporters greeted the news with some skepticism, but Barra reassured them that he had learned much from Stengel and Hauck in his years with the team. Uh-huh. You can observe a lot by watching, he said. Wow, that,
1: that's normally how you observe things. Yeah,
0: adding, <laughs> adding to the yogiisms. Yes. As the 1964 season drew near, Barra even himself began to seem doubtful about his own capabilities as manager. If we win, they'll say Mickey Mouse could have managed this team to the pennant. If we lose, they'll say it's my fault, he observed at one point. Maybe even I'll quit even if we win.
1: Wow. That's a, that's a pretty jaded perspective.
0: Yeah, but hasn't even started managing officially yet, and he's like, uh... This will probably suck.
1: Well, that's what happens when you hire somebody with the the, the threat of throwing them in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's
0: true. You make a sound argument.
1: Yeah. So uh, he he was gonna he took the job for a year, but he wasn't sure if he was gonna last longer than that.
0: Essentially, yeah. Barra faced challenges almost from the start of the season. The team, which had not played well during spring training, lost its first three games in extra innings. Within weeks of opening day, all three of the team's starting outfielders, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, and Tom Tresh were out with injuries, forcing Barra to play Johnny Blanchard, the team's backup catcher catcher in that position for some games.
1: The the backup catcher was playing the outfield? <laughs> yep. All right, eat your heart out, Russ Martin. <laughs>
0: yeah. Fortunately, the team's pitchers made up for the injuries. Yeah. Ace Whitey Ford performed consistently well, and Jim Bouton had improved to his previous season's form by the end of April to the point where he would finish the season with more wins than Ford. Al Downing also pitched well in the early months, striking out an average of one batter per inning. But then Bouton and Downing were sidelined with strained muscles. The relief pitchers also had their share of injuries, keeping Steve Hamilton and Hal Reniff from replicating their combined 23 saves and 82 appearances from the previous season. All right. Seems like a weird stat that they were touting as good.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that was uh, probably the beginning of saves. Yeah, different time. Different time period. Barrett was also
0: having issues with the healthy players. Concerns about his capability to manage former teammates were in the eyes of some media observers proving justified. This was in large part a matter of perception. Mantle and other players had carried on the same way under Houck, who had never felt it necessary to impose a curfew on them. Phil Pepe, who covered the team for the World Telegram and Sun, noted that under Barra, the Yankees, quote, were doing, weren't doing anything different than before, except not winning. Barra benched third baseman Cleet Boyer when his late-night antics began affecting his play. Our relationship at that time wasn't
1: too good, Boyer said. Whoa, do you know anything about his late-night antics? I don't. But so he was getting into some antics. Yeah, there was some stuff going on
0: with Cleet Boyer specifically. All right, With a name like Cleet. Yeah. He was digging in.
1: Yeah, so he's like the Matt Harvey. He was, he was enjoying his uh, New York lifestyle a little bit too much for uh, some people's opinions. Yes. All right. Bear's relationship
0: with the pitching staff was rocky as well. He often criticized them in front of their teammates, something Hauck never had done.
1: Yeah, it's probably not a great...
0: No, it's not a good strategy.
1: Yeah. I guess he's learning on the fly, we could say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The relievers in particular began complaining to Hauk about Barra having had them warm up in the bullpen, only to leave his current pitcher in. This was consistent with a general pattern of indecisiveness some other players also noted. Hamilton recalled that Barra often wondered aloud about strategic decisions, asking, Should I bunt? Should I steal? <laughs> it's not what you want to hear from
1: a manager. No. It sounds like uh this guy was just put in there to sell tickets and not because of his uh managerial you ability. Know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the I, I didn't write it cuz I didn't want this to be like exa- insanely long-winded, but one, that was one of the complaints of the writers when they first hired him was, this guy has not even managed a game in the minor leagues. Like,
1: why are you, he, just because of his name, they were there, all right, well, I mean, fair enough. That was, a, seems like the writers knew what they were talking about. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> despite these difficulties, the Yankees
0: were still contenders. By early August, the Yankees, despite winning fewer games and winning less overwhelmingly than they had in recent years, were in a tight battle for the pennant with the Baltimore Orioles and the Chicago White Sox.
1: Uh-huh.
0: On August 17th, they arrived in Comiskey Park for a four-game series with the White Sox, which had the potential to give either team the upper hand in the pennant race, at least in regard to one another. The Yankees had lost six of the 11 preceding games and were looking to bounce back. Chicago won all four games in this series, including the final doubleheader on August 20th, holding the Yankees scoreless in the second game.
1: It's rough. Yeah, that's a rough
0: one. They had a rough go.
1: Yeah. What? And this is this is probably towards the end of the year. August seventeenth. August seventeenth. So you're in. You're in. Yeah. You're you're into it at that point. Last six weeks of the year. Yeah. Everything matters. After the last
0: game, the Yankees dressed and got on the team bus to travel to O'Hare International Airport, from where they would fly to Boston for another four-game series against their arch rivals, the Red Sox. The mood on board was generally subdued, almost somber. The sweep had dropped the Yankees to four and a half games behind the White Sox, down into third place behind Baltimore. It did not seem likely that the Yankees could make up for the lost ground in the remaining weeks of the season, no matter how well they played. It looked like we were out of it. Cleat Boyer recalled.
1: <laughs> Surprised he knows what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> With all of his, <laughs> all his night- antics, antics. At night. late night antics. Uh, so he's, yeah. So they're, they're almost, they're, they're thinking they're done. Yeah. They're they're,
0: they're pretty dejected. Yeah. At the back of the bus, utility infielder Phil Linz was particularly upset, not only by the team's dire situation, but because he had not been played. He oh. had hit very well against the White Sox pitchers, yep. particularly their left-handers, and had taken a 10-game hitting streak into the series that had just
1: concluded. And he didn't play?
0: Nope. Wow. Yet he had remained on the bench during all four losses, with Barra declining to use him even as a pinch hitter. Yeah. Quote, If there was any team you would play me against, it would be the White Sox, Lynn said. Oh, so he's confronting the manager on the bus. Two hours after the game, the bus was making little progress. And apparently they're stuck in traffic and it's hot as fuck.
1: Yeah, we, we, uh, we've been to Chicago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and Linz was still visibly upset, according to Jim Boughton, who often sat near him. To take his mind off his resentment, he pulled out a honer harmonica he had bought the day before. Mm-hmm. Not knowing how to play the instrument... He also took out its by the numbers instruction book and began <laughs> attempting to play the easiest Wait, song in it.
1: So this man is learning to play harmonica on a bus full of people that just lost a series in a hot day in traffic. That's that doesn't sound like the the guy you want on like um, a <laughs> You know what
0: song it was? What? Mary
1: had a little lamb. All right, Mary had a little lamb. I mean, why not? Why would you not want to it's hear somebody say hit. <laughs> it's the greatest hit ever. Yeah. It's a it's a big song, probably it, one of the most well. <laughs> he played very
0: slowly, following the directions in the booklet. Jesus Christ. He also tried to play it quietly, which Bouton suggested may have complicated matters, given the team's mood. "Quote: If Mary Had a Little Lamb can sound like a dirge, it did," <laughs> he wrote. <laughs> if the front of the otherwise quiet bus, Barra heard the harmonica playing. He did not think it was in any way appropriate behavior, especially after such a serious setback to the team's pennant chances and told Linz to stop.
1: Yeah, I'm going on Barrow's side with this one. Uh, you'd never... He, le- hearing anybody learn how to play an instrument Well, let me tell you
0: Linz's side of the story. <laughs>
1: so you're jumping in here, all right? Linz claims he did not hear exactly what
0: his manager said, so he asked Mickey Mantle seated a few rows further forward to repeat it. Mantle, who often played little jokes on his teammates, told Linz that Barra had asked him to play it louder. <laughs> which Linz did. I fucking love manky Mantle right now. The New York Times wrote, <laughs> Barra, who was in front of the bus, turned around and shouted, Put that thing in your pocket! There was a silence for a second and then a couple of toots on the harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: this is, I can see where this is going. And Barra it's...
0: rushed back towards Linz and yelled, I said to put it away. You'd think you'd just won four straight. Linz appeared startled as Barra rushed toward him, and he flipped the instrument into the air. Toward the manager as if to give it to him, Berra angrily swatted it with his right hand Jesus. and it bounced off Pepitone's right knee. Not Pepitone. <laughs> Pepitone. Pepitone. The harmonica cut the first baseman's knee. Oh my god. But not badly.
1: Oh, okay. It did, however, require a band-aid. <laughs> okay. Band-aid. Alright. So it's so a one of the one of the first recorded harmonica injuries of, yes. uh, of our time.
0: Uh, All the passengers on the bus were now laughing, except Uh, for Barra and Frank Crosetti. As Barra returned to his seat, promising to deal with Linz later, Crosetti raised his high-pitched voice and told Linz he was acting like a child. Linz, who admitted to disliking Crosetti, shouted, Fuck you, Crow! (laughs)
1: The the diplomatic approach.
0: (laughs) Soon afterwards, Crossetti told the reporters who were traveling with the team that this insubordination was the worst thing he had ever seen in 33 years with the Yankees. Yeah. So he's pissed. Yeah. Mantle picked up the harmonica and turned to Whitey Ford, who was sitting across the aisle. Quote, Looks like I'm going to be managing this club pretty soon. (laughs) He said, continuing his playful mood. You can be my third base coach. He demonstrated how they would use the harmonica to relay signals to batters and runners. One toot, that's a bunt. Two toots,
1: that's a hit and run. Mickey Mantle sounds like the fucking... The shit disturber. The shit disturber of his his time. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: So either on the plane or after the Yankees reached Boston, Linz went to Barra and apologized. Forget about it, the manager said. But the ne, but the two nevertheless shook hands and embraced. Phil, Barra said, with all the writers there, I have to fine you. How much do you think it should be? Linz replied that Barra was the manager and he should set the amount. He suggested $250, and Linz agreed. We were friends after that, the infielder recalled.
1: That's good. That's nice. That's a that's a grown-up way of going about things. Yep. It's, it's, yeah, it's uh... a... So, uh, I'm know. sorry I played the harmonica, Yogi. That's okay, that's, Phil. You really pissed me off that you didn't put me in the game there. But, yeah. You know, that's... Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it was, it was a, Mickey Mantle. It was that goddamn Mantle was told me to play it louder. I'm sorry, Yogi. <laughs> I love that. It, it, it becomes a thing between them. It would never have happened if Mickey Mantle wasn't there. Yeah.
0: By the time the Yankees reached Boston, the reporters on the bus had gotten the story out and it received national attention. The Yankees sailed to CBS.
1: Wait, so the- Linz plays harmonica after loss?
0: Yep. That's big news, man. Everyone wanted to know what was going on with the Yankees. Alright, alright. The Yankees sailed to CBS had been announced and the writers jokingly asked if Linz would get a record contract as well. Honer which in- reported a sharp increase in sales, signed Lynn's to a $5,000 endorsement deal. Nice. More than offsetting his fine. Joe Pepitone later joked that Lynn should have bought a- brought a piano along on the bus <laughs> so he would have made more money. <laughs> That's ironic because... I don't know if, Jeff, if Joe Pepitone would be alive if, if Yogi Berra batted a piano out yeah, of him. Yeah, that it. would
1: have been much, much different. If you, if you pull out a piano on the bus. Yeah.
0: <laughs> on the field, at first the incident seemed to be a distraction as the Yankees continued as they had in Chicago, being shut out again in the first game and losing the next by a 5-3 margin, extending their losing streak to 6 in the third game, rookie pitcher Mel Stottlemyre, who had snapped the two other Yankee losing streaks in his August starts.
1: I just want to say rest in peace. I way. was going to say that too, but yeah. good call. Good call. Held the Sox scoreless
0: as Mantle, Maris, and Blanchard hit home runs en route to an 8 nothing victory. Another Mantle home run helped Jim Bouton split the series for the Yankees the next day. These two wins were the start of a 22-6 and run over the next four weeks. Well,
1: that's pretty good baseball.
0: Yep. The White Sox lost 3-4 of four to Baltimore following their sweep of the Yankees, evening up the pennant race, but the Orioles were unable to build momentum. The following weekend, the Yankees swept the Red Sox at home while the White Sox and Orioles split a series of their own. That's when we knew we had a chance, Cleet Boyer later recalled. A lot of quotes from Cleet Boyer.
1: Cleet Boyer, yeah, well, I mean, we already talked about his name uh, and his party, and so he's, he's, (laughs) you know, you don't hear about Cleet Boyer as much as you hear about the Mantles and the Bears, but all right, Cleet. He was there. He was there. Lots to say. At the end of August, the
0: Orioles' lead was only three games. By the end of the season, the Yankees were 30-11 since the end of the White Sox sweep. The surge was enough to put them in first place, one game ahead of Chicago, thus becoming league champions once again. Players and writers credited the harmonica incident with the sparking the team's turnaround. Leonard Coppett predicted, quote, it will be forever told over and over for years to come how the dead Yankees were revived And the 1964 pennant won because the manager, Yogi Berra, got mad at Phil Lynn's harmonica (laughs) playing on a bus. (laughs) It also helped establish his Berra's role as team manager with his players. Quote, out of that came the realization that Yogi was in charge, said second baseman Bobby Richardson. Years later, Mantle agreed. Quote, in our eyes, that was the time Yogi showed us all his leadership qualities. From then on, the players showed more respect for him. They had seen his temper and believed he had drawn a line. Whitey Ford agreed that, quote, This incident showed he showed us he could be tough when he had to be. For his part, Bearer repeatedly reassured the players when things seemed tough during September that, quote, The world ain't come to an end yet. An early version of the more frequently quoted, It ain't over till it's over. Nice. That, that he would tell his Mets team during a similarly tight race in 1973.
1: When he actually went to the Mets, when he wasn't threatened to be thrown off. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right.
0: (laughs) Houck and the other front office executives did not share the players' newfound respect for Barra. Oh. This is what I'm talking about perception. All right. So they didn't see the interactions within... The thing they saw the incident as Barra losing control ah. of the team. It's not good. So Houk and the other front office executives did not share the player's newfound respect for Bera. The harmonica incident had dominated the sports pages, just as the news of the team's How proposed sale. How many fucking sale.
1: stories could you write about this harmonica? Apparently, a lot. It says it dominated. <laughs> Howdy, do you- right here. <laughs> I understand it being the story of the day, but the story of the year. Jesus. All right. <laughs> That's that's.
0: It dominated the sports pages just as news of the team's proposed sale to CBS had broken. (laughs) All right. So it's staying relevant because of that. A sale which was both controversial in and of itself, as not only was it the first time a major corporation had taken a majority stake in a major league baseball team, but there were also issues with the potential conflict of interest with a television network having a vote on the sports lucrative television contracts.
1: Ah we don't know anything about television nope <laughs> stations no, 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 no. owning owning teams. No nope. no, nope. all right. So that's been this year, the Yankees did not need the additional
0: negative publicity the incident brought, especially in light of the doubts it raised about Barra's ability to manage his former teammates effectively. Houck decided sometime in early September before it was evident that the team had united behind their manager and was turning its season around, that Barra had to be replaced. Jesus, that's...
1: I mean, you kind of didn't give him a choice, and then you didn't give him a chance. Yep. Like,
0: Yeah, Hauk had secretly planned to replace Barra with St. Louis manager Johnny Keane, who felt slighted by Cardinals' ownership. All right. In the years since the Harmonica incident, it has been remembered both as the beginning of the Yankees' 64 comeback and the harbinger of the team's collapse over the next two seasons. Wow. Linz, who appeared in a honer ad with the line, Play it again, Phil, (laughs) on the back of the Yankees' 1965 yearbook, was traded to the Phillies after the 1965 season. He was eventually traded to the Mets in 1968, where he was reunited with Barra. The two posed for a humorous picture with Linz playing harmonica and Barra covering his ears and smiling. Linz still uses the picture on his business cards.
1: (laughs) To this day, is he still alive? Apparently. Wow, that is fantastic. I would put that, I'd get that tattooed on my chest.
0: Yeah. I I don't have the whole story. I'll like tell a little like short story about the uh, how. Remember how I mentioned that uh, Barrow was were, was replaced with St Louis manager Johnny Keane. Yeah. Johnny Keane was upset at the Cardinals because they kind of were doing the same thing to him, and they talked to Leo DeRocher, Okay. And he was pissed about that. What ended up happening was the Yankees played the Cardinals in the World Series. Holy shit. And the Cardinals ended up beating the Yankees. And then in a post-World uh, Series press conference, uh, the Cardinals ownership offered Keane a extension, and he was like, Fuck you, I'm going to the Yankees. In a <laughs> we press just conference? Beat. Essentially, yeah. It was like What I read like, was dude. that it was like a press conference, and he was like, I'm not signing your contract. I'm going to the team that we just beat or swept or whatever the series was in the Jesus. World
1: Series. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That's a uh, – and at this point, does Yogi know he's done? Uh, Yeah, I think so. So, I so it was kind of writing on the wall, and then all of a sudden the guy that just beat the team was like, well, fuck you. I'm going to be a Yankee next year. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, ridiculous. And then he
0: didn't do a good job, and they still sucked, and it clearly wasn't Yogi's fault. Yeah in in retrospect they probably did more damage getting rid of yogi and but anyway that's what i was talking about the downfall but anyway that season would be lynn's last which was the 68th season uh-huh uh, if people remember me at all he recalled in 2013 they remembered me as a harmonica player because no. i sure wasn't too good of a baseball player oh. he still carries the harmonica with him and now can play Mary Had a Little Lamb a little bit more expertly. <laughs> Barra stayed with the Mets as a coach through several other managerial changes, sharing in that team's 1969 World Series victory under manager Gil Hodges. After Hodges' jet death during spring training in 1972, Barra was named his successor. That year, he was also... Maybe he was thrown off a boat. <laughs> That year, he was also inducted into the Hall of Fame. The following season, he oversaw another comeback, much like the 1964 Yankees, taking the Mets from five and a half games out of first place at the end of August to the pennant, followed by a four games to three, a four games, to three games loss in that year's World Series to the Oakland A's. Cleet Boyer has said that an achievement should put to rest any doubts about Barra's managerial acumen which were used to justify his dismissal. He told Barra biographer Alan Barra, I'm going to tell you something that should have been said a long time ago, and I mean no disrespect to any of the guys I played with. We weren't the best team in the league in 1964. We got to the World Series and damn near won it because in the end, Yogi had faith in us and we had faith in him. And you know what? He did the same thing with the New York Mets in 1973, and no one's gonna tell me that they were the best team in the National League that year. Now, don't tell me it's just a coincidence that he did that twice. And that's the story of the harmonica incident. Holy shit! And yeah, I had oh, not. I, perception I, I, was different from different people who were there and who weren't there, and that changed like the course of. Of the
1: Yankees for
0: the next like fifteen years. I I still
1: can't believe like I I I, I just can't believe it the, the ineptitude of the ownership there. There's like forcing Yogi to take a position that he was unqualified for. Because they wanted to
0: outsell the Mets.
1: Yeah. No, that is that's and then that incident, like that incident clearly brought the team together. And that put it all right, that's I don't know. That is what that is something. I I had never heard that story before. That is mm-hmm. uh that's the harmonica incident. That's
0: the harmonica incident story. So that was uh, episode five of Sean and Ned's do baseball. As a banger, uh, we're gonna come back next time. Sean's gonna have a story
1: for me. I am. I got lots. Of, I got a story lined up next time that I that you'll also involves the Yankees. If I do the one I'm thinking I'm gonna be doing. So uh, yeah. Until next time, uh, we're gonna gonna keep doing some baseball. What was, what? I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And we're doing Mm. some baseball. That's right. There we go. That's the line. That's the line. Bye. Take care. (laughs)